know, this is our, uh, let's see, going into our 13th year this year. It's easy to do the math, even though it sometimes still trips me up. But we started <clears throat> the church in 2010, so it's kind of easy to calculate the math. But uh, we're going into our 13th year as a church, and I, I just love where we're at as a church. I love what God has done in this church. I love the pace that he has us on. Um, you know, we don't, <clears throat> I shared this with some of our leaders a few weeks ago. We were, we were having a small meeting, and I was sharing about how, you know, we stopped trying to grow the church a long time ago. That, that's really not our focus um, or our desire at all. Not that we don't want the church to grow, but we just don't focus on it. That's not our focus. And the, the focus that we have, instead, the switch that we've made is to steward the church and steward what God has given us. And so the things that we do, we don't do to try to, oh, we're going to do this so the church will grow. Oh, we'll do this to get more people. That's not really the, the focus, and it's not how we look at things. It's more of as God sends things, people, finances, relationships our way, we, we want to steward that well. And sometimes in order to steward those things, well, you have to expand. You have to do things. You know, so we built the student center, phase one of the student center, and because our student ministry was growing. We didn't do that to grow the student ministry. The student ministry was growing. So we did that to, to steward it well. And one of those things um, is life groups as well. You know, life groups is, has been a part of our church for several years now. And life groups... Um, it's a little bit different if, if all you've been used to is a Wednesday night gathering, you know, a Wednesday night large gathering. Um, it's a little bit different than that. But life groups is something our church started doing a long time ago. And part of that was to steward the amount of people that God was sending us. Because a lot of church models are centered around one person trying to do everything. Uh, and I'll talk about myself in third person. The pastor, right? You know, the pastor trying to do everything. Well, I gave up on that a long time ago because I can't be everything to everybody and I can't do everything if I want to keep my sanity and if I want to be in this for any kind of longevity, you know, any kind of long length of time. So I don't try to do everything myself. We have uh, a team of staff. We also have key leaders in our church that God's called beside us to help lead and pastor the church. And so part of that is life groups. Now, if you came during 2020, you haven't even been part of that because in, we stopped doing life groups in 2020 for a while and just went back to uh, regular Wednesday night services. We never really wanted to do that. Um, but for a while, we didn't even have child care going on, you know, during Corona and things like that. So that was a, it, made, it made doing life groups and things like that a challenge. Um, <clears throat> so I want to just share with you a little bit about uh, the vision of life groups, why we do life groups, and uh, just share some scripture with you, and then I'm going to talk to you about how to get involved. So first, I want us to look in Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians 2.19 is where we're going to start this morning. Did y'all miss me last week, by the way? I, Pastor John was here, and I missed y'all, you know, and uh, I thought about y'all, and I watched you on live stream a little bit, and then went back and finished it later. But uh, I, had a, I had a good time. We were out of town for a couple days, and uh, I knew y'all missed me. Y'all didn't say nothing about it, but I knew y'all did. Ephesians 2, 19, <clears throat> that's where we're going to start this morning. And I want to begin by asking this question, what is the church? Okay, and that should be simple, you know, what is the church? But, it's, but, it, but if you've been in church for a long time, especially, you, you could just kind of be numb to that phrase, the church. But the church actually is a lot of different things to different people, depending on what kind of church you raised in. If you're not in a church at all, say you're just totally out in the world, you've got an idea of what the church is. You know, if you, if you are not in church at all, the idea of your church might be like a really gothic-style, huge building with stained glass, and that's the church. You know, if you, if you grew up in a very like Baptist type church, you have a view. If you grew up in a charismatic Pentecostal type church, you have a view of what the church is. But then there's Jesus's view of the church. 
And I found from reading the scripture that his view of what the church is often differs from what our view is because how many of you know anytime man gets their hands on anything, he's going to mess it up just a little bit. <laughs> and so you, sometimes people have bad experiences with church and they go, well, I don't like the church. Well, maybe you didn't like the version of the church you experienced, but you can't say, I don't like the bride of Christ. You can't say, I don't like the church, something that Jesus built and established. Uh, because to do that, you're really saying you don't like Jesus, and so now we've got a bigger problem. Because Jesus is the one who, the Bible says, not only built the church, but is continuing to build the church. It's his project. It's what he's still working on. And we're not finished yet. The, if you want to see the finished version of the church, you've got to go to the book of Revelation and you got to see what happens when the bride of Christ is finally united with Christ in, in, in the very end. We're, not, we're, we're sort of like a work in progress. If any of you are raising children and, you know, you have 14, 15-year-old and you look at them and you go, you know, you're just, you, you could just look at them where they're at today and you could think, man, you're just, you're just not ready for this life. I mean, you're not ready to be married. You're not ready to hold a job. You're not ready to do anything. You're like, yeah, well, they're 12, okay? They're a work in progress. They're not there yet. But you're working on them, right? You're working on them. And that's the church. Jesus is working on the church. We're not perfect. We're not perfect. Our, this church is not perfect. No church is perfect. You know, sometimes people come to the church and they come with a lot of complaints and ideas. Well, you, you know, the church should be doing this. The church should be like that. The church should be this or that or the other. Look, no church is perfect. You're never going to find the perfect church. And if you ever do find the church, perfect church, you need to leave because just by you showing up, it ain't perfect anymore. Some of y'all get that on the way home. But anyway, there's no perfect church because it's, uh, the church is filled with imperfect people. There's no perfect churches. There's no perfect pastors. I'm about as close as you're going to find. All right, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. <clears throat> now, this is the New Testament sort of explanation of how I... One of the places where I think Jesus describes... Well, it's actually Paul, but the Holy Spirit describes the sort of idea that's behind the church. Okay, Ephesians 2, 19. It says, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens and the saints and members of the household of God. That's another way of saying family. Household, you know, your, your immediate household, that's your family. It's another way of saying you're part of God's family. So he says you are no longer on the outside. <clears throat> you're, this is if you're saved. You're no longer strangers and aliens. You're not on the outside. And, you know, the New Testament can use some funny words. We don't necessarily call people aliens today, well, unless, you know, they're illegal aliens. But anyway, that's just, we don't really use that word. What he's saying is you're on the outside. <clears throat> you're an outsider. So you're no longer an outsider, but now you are <clears throat> fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. One of the biggest revelations of the New Testament is that when you got saved, you got adopted and brought into God's family. Now, a lot of people that I've talked to, and I remember sort of coming to this revelation slowly myself, you know you're a son of God, you know you're a daughter of God, but it takes people a while to realize they're a son of God the same way that Jesus is a son of God. It takes people a while to realize that. They go, there's Jesus, like he's a son of God, then there's me, and I'm like one of those, <clears throat> you know, I'm like one of those, uh, like, stepkids, you know, that just doesn't get, and some of you have stepkids, I don't mean anything by that, you know, don't be offended by that. I know you love your stepkids just like your own. I, I was a stepkid, okay? But there's no second class sons and daughters in the kingdom of God. It doesn't work like that. It's not like there's Jesus and he has son status, but then you have son status and it's some other totally different thing. This is why when Paul explains it, he has to explain, not only are you a son of God, he says you're a co-heir. A co-heir with Christ, meaning the same inheritance that Jesus is going to get is the same inheritance you're going to get. Why? Because you have the same status as Jesus. Now, this is very difficult. You're not the son of God. Okay, You're not the incarnate son of God. But you've been gifted 
a status. That's what this has to do with. You're not a God. You know, people get confused. Are you trying to say I'm a God? I'm not trying to say you're a God. I'm trying to say you're a human that's been gifted the same status as the Son of God. And it's why the good news is so great. You've been brought into the household in the family of God. You're no longer on the outside. And this is how the Bible sees the world. There are those who are outside and there are those who are inside. There are those who are outside the family of God. And, and I don't mean this like, oh, you know, they're, they're on the outside and so they're bad and we're on the inside and so we're good. No, I don't mean that at all. <clears throat> what I mean is there are those who are outside of Christ. There are those who are inside of Christ. And those are the only two people. Only two kinds of people. There, there are, there's nothing in between. There is no, this is why he says, you can't be lukewarm. You can't, you can't be, it's like half in, half out. There, there isn't that. So if in the mind of God, when he looks at humanity, there are those who are in Christ, there are those who are out of Christ, and there's no other kind of people. Which is why in the New Testament, you don't get, uh, you, you get, you get some conversations about race and things like that in the New Testament because he's trying to explain. One place, he says, in Christ, there's neither male nor female, Jew, Gentile, Greek. He said, all that's done away with in Christ. Why? Because there's only two types of people in Christ. There's only two types of people in this world. Those who are outside of Christ, those who are inside of Christ. And if you're inside of Christ, everybody has the same status. And that status is the same as Jesus Christ. You go, well, yes, some people are more spiritual than others. Some people are more disciplined than others. Some people are more spiritually mature than others. That's true, but they all have the same status. Like the pastor or whoever, you know, doesn't have a stronger or better status before God than you do. And you go, well, I just got saved yesterday. It doesn't matter. You're a co-heir. You're blood-bought. All your sins are forgiven. You are the righteousness of Christ because of what Jesus did. And, it, and it's a gift. It's a gift. It doesn't matter how good or spotless your record is. You can't, you can't earn it. it. It'll never be good enough to earn it. And so you go, well, this person's really holy. They do not have a higher standing before God than you do. If you're in Christ. If you're truly in Christ. This is why when Jesus talked about this topic, he said, he said, there's never been a greater prophet than John the Baptist. He said, John the Baptist was the greatest. So that, that means greater than Moses. Greater than Elijah. There are some awesome prophets in the Old Testament. When Jesus was talking about John, he said, there's never been a greater prophet than John the Baptist. But then he made this amazing statement. He said, yet the least in the kingdom of God is greater than John the Baptist. Think about that. You go, man, John was amazing. He was a forerunner of God. He lived in the desert and he was so disciplined. You know, he ate locust and honey and wore camel's hair and baptized Jesus. He's, he's, he's a great, yeah, Jesus agreed. He was great, but he didn't come to Christ the same way you did. He came to Christ under the old covenant. You came to Christ under the new covenant and under the new covenant, you don't receive your status and your, you don't receive your relationship with God based on your works. You receive it based on the blood of Jesus Christ and the sacrifice that he made, and it's gifted to you. You go, well, I fall short. I, I mess up. That's the whole reason the new covenant was created, because man couldn't follow the old covenant, and they kept messing it up. So Jesus died for you, and this is how you are brought into the family of God. So he says, you're no longer a stranger, alien on the outside. You are a fellow citizen with the saints and members of the household of God. Verse 20, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Let's look at that phrase for a minute. Because now what he's doing is he's connecting us today in 2023 all the way back to the first pillars and foundation of the church. So for 2,000 years... The church of Jesus Christ has been built brick by brick by brick. There was Paul. There was Peter. There was John. There was Timothy. There was Silas. Every one of them had a brick or a section of the household of God that they were building. And now it's your turn. And it's my turn. And we're laying brick by brick by brick. But we're building on the exact same foundation that they were laying back then. And this is another revelation of the New Testament, is that we're connected to those who came before us. 
when you're part of the church, you're part of the greatest organization that was ever put on this earth. And you're part of an organization that Jesus Christ himself is still personally involved in building. That's what he's doing today, is building the church of Jesus Christ. So he says, you are on the inside. You're not on the outside and You're built on the foundation that was laid by the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, verse 21, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Everybody say grows. That means continuing to grow. In other words, the church is continuing to grow. From the time Paul wrote this until now, the church has continued to grow. To grow, and you're part of that. In whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Again, to get a complete idea of this, you have to go to the book of Revelation and see what the church looks like in her final glory as she's presented to Jesus Christ. So that's kind of what the church is, but what does it mean to be part of that Okay, there's the church, but there's a lot of people that aren't part of the church. Okay, so what's the first thing to be part of the church? Well, first thing to be part of the church is to be saved. You receive entrance into this great organization, this great community, the body of Christ. You receive entrance into that by grace, the Bible says, through faith. So when you believe that Jesus Christ was the Son of God, is the Son of God, that he died For your sin, that your sin was forgiven because of his death on the cross. When you believe that, that's how you gain entrance into this community. That that didn't used to be how it was uh, under the Old Testament. Even though people were still still had to have faith to come to God, they had to follow the law. And it was different than it is now. That's a whole other sermon. We're not going to spend a lot of time there. But today we receive entrance into the body of Christ by grace through faith. So when you are saved, you're part of the church. Okay, when you're saved, you're part of the church. And you're part of the global church, not part of just one life or, you know, some big church in town. I could name a few around town. Just because you're part of this church doesn't mean you're saved. When you're saved, you're part of the global body of Christ. You know, you could go to another country and meet a Christian and you can say, that's my brother. That's my sister. Because they're part of the body of Christ just like you are. And even though you're separated by distance and and time and things like that, you are part of the same body. So first, how do you become part of the the church? Well, you join the body of Christ by receiving salvation, by being born again, okay? And most of us, many of us in this room have already reached that point. But what about feeling part of your church? So you're part of the global church, but now you attend or you come to One Life, And I've met a lot of people that were part of the body of Christ, but they didn't feel part of their local church. They didn't feel part of their their church. So how do you you connect to the global body of Christ? You know, because some people, they feel like, well, I'm saved, and so I don't need the local church. And, And that's not you. Obviously, you're here this morning. But I've talked to a lot of Christians in my time. That they're like, well, I'm, I'm part of the church, meaning I'm saved, and, and I don't need the local church. Well, did you know it was Jesus that instituted the local church, and Paul the apostle went plant, gave his life to plant local churches? And again, there's no perfect churches. But let me just say this to you, and I'm, you, some of you might be going, okay, can you just say it real plainly exactly what you're saying? All right, I'm going to say it real plainly. If you're not connected... To a local church, you're going to find it very difficult to connect to the global church of God. It doesn't mean that you're not saved, okay? It doesn't mean you can't be saved. But what you're doing is you're you're going outside of God's system. And you're saying that I don't need something that God set up. I don't need something that God ordained. And I'm going to just kind of be the lone ranger and go out and do my own thing. Listen, there are very legitimate reasons why people cannot attend church. I know a lot of people personally, medically, they cannot attend church. I understand that. There are very legitimate reasons why people cannot attend church, and so they have to connect online 
or something like that. I'm not talking about that, okay? If that's you this morning and you're like watching online, you're like, well, I would come, but you know, this, that, I'm not saying that. But there are a lot of people that just don't value the local church. And they don't value it because maybe they, like I said in the beginning, maybe they've had a bad experience. Or maybe they're arrogant. Or maybe they're easily offended. Or maybe they haven't learned how to submit to God's structure and God's ways. There's a lot. Maybe they have sin in their life and they just don't want to hear about it every week. There could be a whole host of reasons why people do not attend and they do not connect to a local church. But I, I literally have talked to people in my life that it doesn't matter how many churches they've gone to, they've never liked one that they've gone to. And at a certain point, you've got to ask yourself, is the problem with the church or with you? Because <laughs> if you go to every restaurant in town <laughs> and you can't find something you like, maybe you're too picky. I don't know. Something might be wrong with you. Go have your taste buds checked out. I don't, I'm not sure. But I understand there are legitimate issues and things that go on and people have those stories. But listen, at a certain point, I'm going to choose to connect to the church that God has sent me to regardless of any imperfections that I may see or find or point out. Um, and and uh, really, if you study the New Testament, your job is not to really be examining the church at that level. It's to be examining your own self. I mean, every, I've worked on staff at churches, and one of the quickest ways to find out that a church is not perfect is by working on staff. Trust me. And then you find out everything behind the scenes. It's like working in the kitchen at the restaurant. <laughs> if you worked in the kitchen, some of you are like, I'm never going to eat at another restaurant again. They drop food on the floor and everything else. So, but look, it doesn't matter. You see what's going on, and you go, listen, Jesus died for the church. That's how valuable it is to him. I'm not going to put my place, myself in a place of judgment to criticize the bride of Christ. How many of you like when people talk about your wife, men? How many of you like it when people talk about your wife? Nobody. Jesus doesn't like it when people talk about his church, his bride. And I can tell you, that's how he sees the church. It's the bride of Christ. Now, if you're married, you may know all the flaws of your spouse. Y'all may even have discussions about them. And you may have this mentality. Look, I can say that, but you don't say that. This is, this is between us. Okay? So don't put yourself in that, in that place or that position. You submit to Christ. You do what you're supposed to do. You follow God, and you let God build his church. Amen? Amen. So this is what he's doing. How do you become part of it? If the church is really that significant and that the church is really that valuable, how do we become part of the church? There's a lot of ways. Are you part of the church? I'm talking about your local church. Are you part of your local church because you attend a service a couple times a month? In a small way, I would say yes. Just a, that's a first, sure, that's a first step, just being here this morning. But is that all there is? No. Are you part of your church because you give financially? Well, I would say yes. I mean, certainly if you partner financially, there's scriptures on that. The Bible says that where, you're, that where your money is, your heart will be also. And, and we know that's a, a connection between your heart. Yes. But is that all there is? No. No. And a lot of times you will even find people that they attend service regularly. Maybe they, maybe they give financially, but they still don't feel part of the church. Well, let me give you a few things that I want you to understand about being part of the body of Christ. And this is the number one most important thing to remember when it comes to the church of Jesus Christ. Remember that to God, the most important part of the church are the people in it. Okay, this is, this is number one. God doesn't care that much about buildings. God doesn't care that much about lights. He doesn't care that much about perfect music. He doesn't care that much about phenomenal preaching. Okay? He doesn't care that much about great coffee. He doesn't care about our social media. I don't think he's against any of it. 
But God has one thing in mind. Reaching, loving, and serving humanity. That is what the church is. This is a surprise to some people. And even though they may know it mentally, that's not how the, a lot of people attend church. They, they attend church with the mindset not, not to connect with what God is doing in loving, serving, helping people. They, they attend church with the mindset of what is this going to do for me? And I don't, you know, I don't think people do this on purpose. But you can show up to church sometimes, and it's really not even about the body. It's just 100% about you. And, and I, I know this from having conversations with people sometimes. But you can show up to church, and, you can, and people can look around, and they go, well, you know, I'm not going to be part of this church because I don't like the music. Okay, that, that statement right away shows you the error of your thinking. Because that's how you, you pick churches like a buffet almost, you know, like... And that's not, that's not how we attend church. That's not how we go to church. You go, well, I didn't like the music there, or I didn't like the or I came and somebody didn't say hi to me, or the people aren't that, that friendly. Look, did you know that's not really how you should pick a church? Because what you're doing is you're making the church all about you, 100% about you. It's all about my tastes and my likes and what I like and what I dislike. I, I'm not trying to be rude. The church is not about you. The church, first and foremost, is about Jesus Christ. And his wishes and his desires and what he wants to accomplish. The church also, keep in mind, the church was not, to, was not meant to be a, a center for entertainment and pleasure and, and enjoying life. Look, we do that a lot, right? As humans, we're really good at that. We can eat some good food. We, can, we got a lot of places we can do that. The church is actually, the Bible says the body of Christ is actually an army. That we are soldiers in the army of Christ. So a lot of people attend church like they're getting on a cruise ship. You know, they want everything just to be right and I want to be certain. Look, that's not what the body of Christ is. The body of Christ is, is a military outfit more than it is a cruise ship. So when we come to church, we don't come to go, well, I didn't like this or I don't like that. You know, I imagine there's a lot of people joined the military that had some problems with the way their drill sergeant talked to them, right? They may have had some problems with their uh, accommodations when they went to the barracks, you know. And they didn't get, well, you know, I didn't like that or I didn't like this. They just said, I don't know what they said. I wasn't in the military. We got a lot of people that were in the military. But I don't think it would have been pretty. At least a few years ago, I think they softened up some on things now, which is sad. But anyway. No, you, 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 that, but people attend church that way. And I'm just, I'm just letting you know that that's the wrong mentality to attend church with. I, when, when, we are, when you are part of a church, the, the mindset should be, first and foremost, is we are here to change the world. We are here to make disciples. And we are at war. And when you are at war, there are going to be obstacles, challenges, problems that you have to overcome and face. And if things aren't in line and in structure and in order, we're going to get our lunch ate. And that's why the body of Christ has had their lunch ate in a lot of situations. This is why, in many cases, the body of Christ is weak and feeble. Because everybody's so concerned about a lot of things that we shouldn't be concerned about. But when you are trying to build something, and that's what we're doing here. When you're trying to build something that is effective for the kingdom of God at breaking down the kingdom of darkness... There's going to be some rough edges to it, right? There's going to be some, maybe some things that are said that can be offensive from time to time. There's going to be some times that you get told no, or sometimes you get, hey, we need you for this, or we need you to sacrifice here. That's part of being part of the body of Christ. And a lot of people aren't used to that because many have been only at churches where they were, where the church was all about them. And you see, that has to change. I know I'm preaching to the choir this morning, but I'm just letting you know how we think and how the church operates. I promise you I'm getting to life groups, okay? Just hang in there with me. So you got to remember this, number one. Most important thing that matters to God is people. Everything that happens here on a Sunday, Wednesday, every day during the week Every single thing that happens, every phone call, every email, every meeting, every bit of, of, of money that gets spent is all in service of 
trying to reach, love, and serve people. That's what it's all about. And that's what God cares about. Now, I, and, and then people, though, can get caught up on the way that's done, right? Like, you know, if you go back 200 years ago, church looked different, right? Church, you know, you were singing hymns, and maybe it was like a wooden, you know, little, little church house or whatever. And then, and then as that changes over time, people can go, oh, well, that's not how we used to do it. Well, how, you, how we used to do it and maybe how we're going to do it 200 years from now is actually not the main thing. The main thing is, are you reaching people? That's the main thing. Main thing is not the methods. The methods change. The methods change. What doesn't change is the mission. The mission never changes. And there's lots of ways that people accomplish the mission of God. Sometimes the mission of God is accomplished through missionary organizations that are going out into the world. The mission of God is accomplished through local churches. The mission of God can be accomplished in a lot of ways. The methods change with every generation. If you look at the way Paul did it, the way they did it 100 years, the way they did it 30 years ago, that, that doesn't matter. But people that don't understand the vision, they get caught up on that. And they go, well, you know, I don't, I don't think the church ought to be doing this or that or this, you know, or singing this way or have these songs or having the, the, the lights or the cameras or this, that, or the other. Look, the bottom line is the methods are going to always change. And our approach is as a body of Christ is, we're not going to do anything to violate the word. We're going to always honor the word of God. We're going to hold the word in the highest esteem. But our mission is to meet, it, 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 our mission is to serve and reach humanity. And however we need to do that within the guides of the scripture, we're going to, we're going to do that to the best that we can. Are we going to be perfect at it? No. And and, and, and two, in the church, you know, we may try some things that don't work, and then we don't do it again the next year after that. That happens too. But this church is always changing. You know, if you uh, have been coming here for any amount of time, you may come in one Sunday, and we redid this over here. This got painted. Or you walk back in the kids' church, and you're like, oh, man, this, built, this room got moved around over here. Why? Because nothing's sacred. Buildings aren't sacred. Uh, you know... The tools that we use to reach people are not sacred. You know, some people say, well, we had this group for, you know, five years. What happened? Yeah, it's not sacred. Everything could be on the chopping block. Everything could get cut. Anything could get added. And people don't like that because we get used to stuff. You know, like we like it this way. Well, again, those, those methods aren't sacred. And I have found, and by the way, you know this. Y'all know this instinctively. Churches are notorious for getting stuck 30, 40, 50 years behind where they ought to be. They should have changed 50 years ago, but they had some committee that couldn't ever vote on it or decide, and so it stayed the same way for 30 years when it should have been cut, <coughs> it should have been cut after the first year. <laughs> Y'all are smiling, but you're not saying nothing. But you know what I'm talking about. It's true. Churches are notorious for that. It's so sad. You walk, sometimes you walk into a church and you feel like you're walking into two decades ago. I'm not, it's not criticizing any other church. I'm not naming any. I'm just saying that we're not going to do that. Right? We're, we're not going to, well, we didn't want to offend sister so-and-so, you know, so we had to keep this way for the last 20 years and they're just appeasing that one person. We're not, we, that's not how we do. You know, that's not how I think that, that God thinks. So there's a lot of things that aren't sacred and they're, they're, they're generally methods and approaches that they're going to get on the chopping block. And it's all in an effort to serve God and reach people. Amen. So we're always looking for what is, what, what is fresh, what is new. Where's the fresh way that God is, is moving? What is he doing? And, of course, there's going to be a lot of those things that don't change. Preaching the word, worship, a lot, lot of those pillars, they're not going to change. But there's a lot of other things that, that can. How many of you, when you uh, remember when we were watching online during COVID? Man, we had fun with that. You know, I was watching some of those videos. I was like, we had, fun. we had a good time with that. And we didn't ever plan on doing that. It just, it was a new season that presented itself. And we had to pray and figure out what God wanted us to do for that, for that time. And that kind of stuff comes up all the time. So... The most important thing is to remember 
that people are the number one thing to God. And if people are being reached and people are encountering God, people are coming to Christ, people are being discipled, that's why God established the church. So you see this, for example, in Acts chapter 4. And this is where we're kind of getting to the life group element of it. Acts chapter 4, verse 32, you can see how you can see the spirit and the culture that was here in the early church. Acts chapter 4, 32. It says, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. No one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, For as many as were owners of lands and their houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. How many of you know this was a very special time in the church? I mean, you read this and you could just, it's almost like you're there. You can feel the love, the the beauty of what was happening there. Did you know this was not how churches continued operating forever? Just go read the book of Acts. This isn't how churches operated forever. There was, a, there was a time where Paul had to come in and say, hold, hold, hold on a minute. Just not anybody can get on the, the list to be supported financially. He's talking about widows. He said, there's a few criteria of how they need to be. Well, there was none of that here. But later, some structure and order and things had to. And anytime something grows, structure and order and has to be added to it. So... But the beauty of this, of people taking care of one another, people had needs and others helping, and this great love. And as you keep reading through Acts, you find they were going to each other's houses. They were eating together. They were communing together. They were praying together. Then they would go to the temple on, on, you know, on Sunday, and then they would, and they would uh, fellowship, and, and they were together during the week for prayer meetings and, and eating in each other's homes and things like that. And sometimes when you read the book of Acts, you can go, oh, man, we've, we've lost that. Well, let me say, first of all, I do think we've lost it to a degree, but I think first we've lost it as a, as a culture, not, ju- not just in the church. I think that our culture as a whole is not as communal as we used to be. And we just don't need each other the way that we used to need each other back in the day. A lot has changed. And a person can live, if they're not careful, a person can live very isolated in in the world that we've created for ourselves. It's very easy to sort of cut everybody else off and, and just take care of yourself and your own needs. You can go to the grocery store and get everything you need. You can order the rest on Amazon. And you could, if you wanted to, you could never leave your house. You could just sit on the couch all the time and never even leave your house. And you'd survive just fine. It was not like that, you know, hundreds of years ago. It wasn't like that. Certainly in Bible times, it wasn't like that. So people actually needed each other. But the reality is that we still need each other. We still need each other. And, and because, but, you know, we've lost that to a degree. And I think we're seeing some repercussions of that. I think we see the repercussions of it in mental health issues. I think we see it in a lot of departments. That's why during COVID, we saw so many things spike because people got so isolated and they lost that element of community. But did you know that we were designed by God to be in community with one another, to be part of this thing called the church, not Lone Ranger out by yourself, but part of a church where you're accomplishing the mission of God and you're taking care of other people's burdens and they're taking care of your burdens and you're encouraging others and they're encouraging you, that is part of the design of the church of Jesus Christ. So I do agree that we've lost it uh, as a society to a point. But actually, I think the church has it more than the society does. I think the church, it's a pretty amazing thing that all across this city, state, nation, and world, there are people gathering this morning to have community with one focus to lift up the name of Jesus Christ. That's a pretty amazing thing. So we've lost it to a degree, but the church still is a 
communal organization by definition. Now, does life groups solve this problem completely? You know, if, if our church needs more community and more close contact with one another, does life groups solve this problem completely? No, it does not. It does not solve it completely, but it sure is a step in the right direction. It sure is movement towards that need for the body of Christ to actually be with one another. If you've only come on Sundays, you know it's very hard to have deep, meaningful relationships on a, on a Sunday. You'd have to attend for years before you really got to know people because most people show up just about the time we're getting started. You know, maybe a few minutes early to drop your kids off. You say a few highs and hellos, and it's just mostly surface stuff. And then by the time service is over, I guess y'all are so hungry. I don't know, half the people just gone, you know, as soon as the doors are open. And then a few sit around and talk and things like that. But it's very hard to build true, meaningful relationships on a Sunday morning. But in life groups, that can happen. Look, to really fulfill the mission and to experience the love and community that God actually has for his church, it requires being in close quarters with other humans. (laughs) It requires, and some of you are like, you know, introverted, and you go, oh, I'm an introvert, and I don't like that, you know. I understand, but if we're going to serve Christ, and we're going to fulfill the mission, and we're going to love our neighbor, which is our highest call, how are you going to love your neighbor unless you actually know what your neighbor is going through? How are you going to love your neighbor if all you have is just a surface relationship and you never go past that? So life groups, it doesn't solve this completely, but it it moves us in the right direction where on a weekly basis we're having to gather with a small number of people from our church. We're having to gather together And we are hearing each other's mindsets. We are hearing what's going on in your life. We're hearing what is is happening in your family. And maybe through that, something gets sparked in here that, oh, I can help with that. Or, man, let me encourage you with this. I went through that one time, and here's how God got me out of it. And then there's, there's that communication. So life groups helps us serve one another, helps us love one another, helps us live in community as the early church did to a measure. Now, let me give you three quick benefits of, of life groups. And if I've already covered some of these in the, in the sermon this morning, I'm not going to spend a lot of time. I'll just kind of go through them quickly. But number one is community, support and fellowship with other believers that are part of the family of God. Galatians 6.1 says, brothers, if anyone is caught In any transgression, that means sin, problem. They've been tripped up. You who are spiritual, in other words, you haven't had that same problem and you're you're doing pretty good right now. You who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness, but keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So Paul says this to the church. Well, a, a lot of the way that people attend church there is no possible way they could fulfill this scripture because they don't know anything about somebody else's transgression. I don't know if you have seen this in Christians and in the church world, but most Christians try to hide their transgressions. They don't just walk in church on Sunday morning with them on their sleeve and shoulder announcing, you know, like the scarlet letter around that, hey, I'm having this problem. No, so you would never see it because everybody puts up a front, everybody puts up a face. And it's only when you begin to trust and develop relationship do people reveal, hey, I'm struggling with this. I really would like some help with this. And, they, and people do that in a place of safety, which I'm not talking about just sharing it in front of the whole group. But in life groups, you build relationships where maybe you can reach out to somebody if you're having a problem. Or, or even you go, well, I don't have any of that. First of all, I'm skeptical. But anyway, if you don't have any of that, then maybe you're this person. You who are spiritual should restore in a spirit of gentleness. So maybe you're on the other side. And you can't do this unless you're in close quarters. Look at the second verse. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. How are we going to bear one another's burdens when we're not close enough to anyone 
but to only hear when we walk in through the church. How you doing this morning? Oh, good, brother. And that's about the only conversation we had. You can't bear anyone's burdens unless you are having those relationships to find out what their burdens are. And that requires getting close to humanity. It requires getting close enough with the people that we go to, to church with. Listen, none of us in here can solve all the world's problems. And it can be very overwhelming. You look out the things that are going on. That's why half the time, if you're like me, I just turn the news off because I can't do anything about it. And all it does is make me mad. But I got a church full of people right here, brothers and sisters in Christ, that, that, that God's put right in front of my face that I can be involved. I can help with this. I can be involved in this. You can't solve the world's problems. That's why God puts us in the body of Christ so that we can do what's in front of our face. You remember the, the story of the Good Samaritan? That's how it came up. Jesus was talking about loving your neighbor. And the lawyer thought he was going to be cute. And he said, oh, yes, but who is my neighbor? He said, well, let me tell you a story. And he told him the story of the Good Samaritan. And you know the story. You know, he's walking on the road, finds a guy in the ditch that other people would pass up. And he helps him. And here's the, basically the moral of the story. You want to know who your neighbor is? It's, it's just do what's in front of your face. I can't solve the world's problems. But I can look around and I can go, man... I can be observant. I can be in relationship with enough people in my community of believers to go, man, there's an issue. I've seen a change in them. Seem like they're depressed. Seem like their kids are going through this. That's hard to happen on a Sunday. But in community, that stuff gets noticed and picked up, and those conversations can happen. And again, some of you might be thinking, well, I don't really need that, or that's not that important to me. Well, but... Could you be used to be that for someone else then? Number two, one of the benefits you will get from life groups is sharpening. Proverbs 27, 17 says, iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another. Iron sharpens iron, he says, and in the same way, another person sharpens another person by being around them. You ever had, you ever been in a group conversation and everybody's laughing and talking and one person says something and you're just like, hmm, that, ah, that didn't sit well with me. What's happening? Iron sharpening iron. You go, well, was it right what they said? That's not the point. The point was that is humanity sharpening one another. Or you ever been in a group talking and somebody starts talking about their marriage or their family or their prayer life and the way they do things and that's not what your family or marriage or prayer life look like and you go, man, maybe I need to make, they just talk about that like it's so serious. I mean, maybe I need to make some changes. What's happening? Iron sharpening iron. But that doesn't happen on a Sunday morning. I mean, that doesn't happen from being isolated. But when you're in Community with people, iron sharpens iron. Personal, different personalities crashing into one another. Different ideas, thoughts on the scripture crashing into one another. Different views on marriage, life, church, the word. It crashes into one another and it's iron sharpening iron. And we need that. That's why uh, we all know the dangers of being so isolated and only having uh, you know, your viewpoints just kind of isolated to you and your own thoughts and not having anybody else come in and challenge that line of thinking or what you're, the way that you're thinking on that. There's a danger in that. I, I read recently, um, it's, for some reason this has been in the news, it was in the news decades ago, uh, but when I, was a, when I was a teenager, I loved basketball, so I followed Michael Jordan and all those guys, you know, the greatest basketball players of all time. If you were born after a certain period of time, you don't know nothing about that. But anyway, greatest basketball players of all time. And Charles Barkley and Michael Jordan were real close at one time. And they, they were like best friends. And they haven't spoken, I forget how many years now, it's been like a decade or more, they haven't, they haven't even spoken. They've not had one conversation. And they were asking Charles Barkley about it. And the, the whole rift was over that... Charles Barkley, who was a sports analyst, was on television, and he said, 
I think Michael Jordan, Michael Jordan was, the, was managing the Wizards or whatever at the time, or whoever it was, maybe it was the Hornets. And Charles Barkley said, uh, I think Michael Jordan needs to get better people around him because when you get to a certain place, he said, you only got people around you that tell you what you want to hear. And he said, I think Michael Jordan needs to have better people around him that aren't afraid to tell him no. Well, Michael Jordan heard that and kind of proved <laughs> Charles Barkley's point called him, chewed him out, like, you're supposed to be my friend, and then they haven't spoke since. I know he didn't come to church to hear about Charles Barkley and Michael Jordan, but, but I thought what Charles Barkley said was important. He said you, he only has people around that tell him what he wants to hear. Well, that's not how iron gets sharpened. So he said iron sharpens iron. You need, you need people to challenge you. You need people to go, you think that? Why do you think that way? That ain't right. Why are you doing it that way? But sometimes we get so offended by that, like, well, I don't want to be, you know, people don't, I don't want to be in there because somebody said this to me, or I was in life group, and, and uh, you know, somebody said they thought the scripture meant this, and now I'm bothered. No, it's just iron sharpening iron. That's what happens. Maybe they need to be sharpened. Maybe you need to be sharpened. That's going to happen in life group. Okay, last thing. I'm trying to rush through this. Last benefit of going to life groups, discomfort. You said, I thought you said benefits. Yeah, it is. Because we all know it's through discomfort that we grow. And there's so many people that are like, well, I don't want to go because it makes me uncomfortable. What you just said is my growth is stunted in this area. (laughs) And the discomfort of it sometimes is needed for us to grow out of that area. Many of us have plateaued. We have stagnated. And the reason is because we never do anything uncomfortable. We get to a certain age, and we just really like comfort. And we don't want to be uncomfortable in any of those areas. Well, that is the way that you plateau and you stay the same. Sometimes life groups will be uncomfortable, especially the first time you show up, right? Some new people or people you don't know that well, and it only gets more and more comfortable, but it's that first step to show up and actually go and do something that's just so easy not to do. Because we're so comfortable. Sometimes you have to force yourself to be in a situation that might be uncomfortable because that's how you grow. Okay, that's the end of the sermon. Amen? Okay. Now, I want to get into the details and just questions that some people might, might have. So, number one, what do we do at life groups? Well, this year... Um, Life groups are going to be a little bit different. Uh, we used to do, we used to produce a video that the groups would watch and then they would discuss. This semester, at least this semester, the way that we're going to do it is we're actually going to go through the Sunday sermon series. So on Sunday right now, we're in a sermon series called What to Expect in 2023. So as we talk on Sunday about the, the, the current topic, the life group leaders will have an outline that is created from my notes from Sunday, and that will be what is discussed at life groups. Um, also, at most life groups, there'll be a meal that's shared together, some, some type of foods. So it'd be a time of fellowship. Fellowship, eating together, praying together, studying the Word of God together. That will be sort of the details of what happens during the gathering. But a lot of what happens happens after uh, the group itself. In other words, there are people that you will know, get their phone number and maybe this group is going out to have dinner and people get invited. And so there's relationship and there's fellowship that happens as we've been talking about this whole sermon. What is the commitment to life groups? Well, co- uh, life groups typically last 12 to 14 weeks. You're not committing to that, but that's generally how long they last. We do it in a semester format. So this is the spring semester. Um, it'll start next week, and it'll go almost to the end of school, to the end of the school year, like middle of May. Uh, we take spring break off um, if you're traveling or anything like that. But it's about a 12 to 14-week commitment normally. But you're, you're not commit. You're not like signing anything. If you go to one, it doesn't mean you have to you know, keep going or anything like that. And also, if you join a group and it's not a good fit for you, 
it's no problem. You can switch groups. Nobody's going to be offended. We don't care. All the life group leaders know this is a normal part when people are trying to find groups. And all the life group leaders actually want to help you find the perfect group for you. They, they, they're going to, the life group leaders know what, where it's going to be the best fit for you. And they may even tell you, like, hey, you know, if you're not comfortable here, this is the group where you're probably going to fit better. They, they know and understand and are, are ready to help people find groups. So if you attend, that happens every semester. People will attend a couple uh, group, you know, a couple weeks at this group, and they're like, I'm not really fitting in. I want to try another group. No problem. Nobody's offended by that. That's, that's normal. That's expected and encouraged. So no, no problem with that. What is the red tape to get involved? There is no red tape. There is nothing you need to do except show up. That is it. You don't have to sign up for anything. You don't do anything except show up. The only thing you have to do is get the information of where your group is going to meet and show up at that time. Easiest way to do that, we've got these rack cards that are at the orange tent. If you take your phone and scan the QR code on the bottom, it'll take your phone straight to the Life Group page website. And it'll show you all the life groups that we have, who the leaders are, the address of where they meet. All the addresses are clickable. So if you, if you click it on your phone, it's going to pull up the address in Google Maps, and it'll take you right there. So it's, it's all very, very simple. You, if you don't want to use this or you hate QR codes for whatever reason, you could just go straight to the website. This just makes it a little bit easier. But you can go straight to the website, onelifechurchalexandria.com. Under ministries, there's a life group tab. Click the life group tab, and it'll give you the same information that you get by going here. It'll take you to the life group page, and you'll, you'll see all the life group leaders that we have. Uh, briefly, let me just tell you about the kickoff party. So we started doing this a few years ago versus, you know, we talk about life groups, and then everybody just has to go find their group the next week. We, we decided to start having a big group meeting first, and everybody get together. This way... We'll be here at the church, we'll be in the student center, and if you're going to be part of life groups and you show up, you're going to get to meet other people that are in your group. You can switch groups that night. If you're, you know, you based on, you see, well, this person's over here and I want to be with them, you can do that. You can pick your group. The, the groups will be separated in the, in the youth center. We'll have sections where people are sitting, and it's going to be a, uh, the reason we do it is it's just a good way to break the ice. You get to meet a lot of people. Uh, you get to find out who you're going to be meeting with. There'll be food. There'll be some games. We'll laugh some. Uh, if you're nervous about the kickoff party, because we've had some questions about this, like, is it, uh, you know, is it going to be really physically demanding? Like, because in years past, we made everybody participate, and we played games and stuff like that. Uh, no, you do not have to participate. You can just come and spectate if you want to. You can just come and watch other people make a fool of themselves. That'll be perfectly fine. But we will be having fun, and it is, it's a party. We call it a kickoff party. It's not a church service. We will be eating, we'll be laughing, we'll be having fun, we'll be playing music. It's, it's a good time. But we'll be helping people connect with their group that they want to uh, be a part of. few other details. We are changing the start time of life groups from 6.30 to 6 p.m. We had been having service at 6.30. Um, <clears throat> we've had a lot of feedback that... You know, it would be better for a lot of people if we did 6 instead of 6.30. I know that's not going to work for every single person. There's probably some of you that that doesn't work for. But for the majority of people that we talked to, that was a better time, mainly because kids need a lot of times need to get home and do school. Also, people getting off work, a lot of times it just makes more sense to come, you know, straight to church or grab something quick and, and come to church. So 6 p.m. will be the time that we meet. Usually lasts hour and a half. So by 7.30, usually groups are ending and, and we're done. This year, another thing we're doing different. So most groups will have food. And another thing that we're doing that we didn't do in the past is there will be pizza provided for all the kids and youth every, every week. So if you bring your kids, you don't have to figure out a way for them to eat. You're going to eat here, but you got to figure out a way for your kid to eat. Everybody will eat if they're here. I know you guys love food so much, so we just got to take care of that. But we'll have food. <clears throat> Most groups will have food of some kind, okay? Even if it's not like a full meal, I can't tell you that. It just depends on the group. But for the kids and the youth, they will have pizza every, every uh, Wednesday night. 
Now, uh, the life groups, we're going to go through each group on the slide real quick. Just behind me, I'm, I'm going to go through each group kind of quick. Um, we have five groups this semester, and all of them meet on Wednesday night at 6, except for one. Um, that one meets in Pineville on Tuesday night, and we'll, we'll get to that one in just a minute. But all the groups meet on Wednesday night at 6 p.m. The reason for this is mostly because everybody needs child care. Most everybody needs child care. So we have child care at the church, and even if your group meets off campus, like we have a group that meets in the Lynx subdivision, you can drop your kids and youth off at church, and then you can go to life group, and then you can come back and pick up your kids. That's the reason why most group groups meet on Wednesday nights at 6, because that's when child care is provided. So first group is Willis and Amber Stortz. Willis and Amber, raise your hand. Just wave. I saw you somewhere. There they are right there. Willis and Amber Stortz. They've been life group leaders with us for a long time. They will meet Wednesday nights at 6 at 1002 Packard Drive. All this information is on the website. You don't have to remember this. Which is over at England Air Park in, that, in those subdivisions over there. Also, we have Tyler and Erica Phillips. They are the group that meets in the Lynx subdivision. That is Wednesday nights at 6, 281 Lynx Drive. Again, on the website, you can click the address and it'll take you there. We have Lynn and Tina Welch. This is the only group that will be meeting here at the church. So most groups, we try to have meet off campus um, for so many reasons that I didn't discuss this morning. But there are a lot of reasons for that. We've done this for many years and tried to figure out what works best. But we also know there's a group of people that just about, you know, are just more comfortable meeting at a group at the church specifically. And there could be a lot of reasons for that. Sometimes you've got uh, mothers with new kids and they don't want to be off campus somewhere else. That can happen. There's a lot of reasons. But some people are more comfortable meeting. at. So we want to have at least one group that meets here on campus at the church. That'll be in the family room right by the coffee shop. And kind of in the coffee shop too, coffee area over there. So Lynn and Tina will lead that group on Wednesday night at 6 here at the church. Then we have Casey and Amber Babcock. They will be leading Wednesday night at 6. And this will be, with, this will be at 151 Pecan Bayou Drive, which is off of Versailles over there. And Casey and Amber along with Jason and Becca Hawk as co-leaders, they will be leading this group for young adults. And this, is a, a, this was important to us to have a group specifically for young adults. Now, it's always hard to define young adults. I can pretty much tell you if you're not one, um, but it's always hard to define, okay? Some people used to we say, well, 18 to 30 or something like that. No, it just changes so much. It's not really that. It, it's almost more like stage of life because there are people that are 22 that are married, have kids, have a career, and they're just not going to fit in this group. So then there, then there are people that are older, you know, in their 30 that might fit in the group. So it's really more about stage of life. In general, this might be college age type kids, freshly out of college. It might be people uh, that are unmarried or do not have children. So that type of, uh, of group. So we're, we're saying young adults, but that, that term, unfortunately, is very fuzzy. But Casey and Amber, Jason and Becca, they will be leading this group. And, um, you know, if, if, if you show up to this group and it's just so obvious to them that, you know, your boat has, has sailed and... <laughs> This is not the group for you. They will, they will kindly and gently help you find another group better, better suited, okay? Last group is Jimbo and Alita Jacobs. This is the only group that meets in Pineville. They also meet on an off night, which is Tuesday. They also meet on an off time, which is 6.30. Jimbo, y'all just, what's wrong with y'all? Everything's off, but... Anyway, Jimbo and Alita, Tuesday nights at 6.30. This is at their uh, home in Pineville, 3213 Rigolette uh, Road. And if you, um, if you have any questions about that or, or to them, you can speak with them. You can go to our website 
and you can see all the information there. So those are the five groups that we have. Now, again, first night, just come to kickoff party, okay? Hopefully, you've started trying to figure out which group you want to be part of, but you don't have to. As you, as you show up at the kickoff party, we'll help you get connected to the group that you need to be a part of. Last thing, I promise, last thing I mentioned, it is 1130 already. I can feel the stairs and hear the stomachs growling. I'm rushing through this. Uh, last thing I wanted you to, to know is just kind of what we're going to be discussing. I already mentioned we're doing a series, uh, What to Expect in 2023. This is something that I prayed about all during the fast and, uh, you know, even the beginning of uh, the end of last year, just about what God would have me communicate to our church about how to prepare for this year and the years that follow. And this is what we're going to be studying in Life Group. We'll be talking about it on Sunday, and then we'll be diving deep into it um, during, during Life Groups as well. And we're going to be talking about, you know, how to prepare as believers, what things we can look for to change in our nation, in the church world, things like that. And uh, I believe you're going to get a lot out of it. <laughs>